This is Dyslexics Wanted, celebrating the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia is inviting you to join this podcast. If you or someone you care about has a story to tell, we would love to consider featuring it right here on the Dyslexics Wanted podcast. Send us your story. You can email me directly, jordan at chartproductions.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N at chart, C-H-A-R-T, productions.com. Or call and leave a message at 781-356-1500. Again, that's 781-356-1500. My guest today is Dr. Katherine Garforth. She's got professional expertise in educational psychology and a personal understanding of the frustrations that both kids and adults face with learning difficulties. As a young child, Dr. Garforth struggled with reading and spelling in her primary years, but she's certainly gone on to accomplish so much. Her life story was featured in an award-winning Knowledge Network documentary entitled Deciphering Dyslexia. She ultimately overcame academic challenges to achieve a doctorate, and today she's making great strides, helping people from all walks of life. And for more, visit GarforthEducation.com. And now joining us on Dyslexics Wanted, Dr. Katherine Garforth. What I'd like to do is start out by asking you about your childhood, and you're very open about it, and Mm -hmm. uh, when you were actually diagnosed, what life was like for you prior to that. Okay. Um, Well, before I was diagnosed, it was very frustrating because I didn't understand why all of my friends and even my siblings were having such an easy time learning how to read, and it was so difficult for me. Were you bullied by other kids or taunted, made fun of? Oh, extremely. Mm, That seems to be prevalent. (laughs) I was called disgrace to the human race, human pollution. My teacher told me I was a waste of her time in front of the whole class and called me stupid. Oh, my goodness. The teacher now. The teacher. And they um, they would physically abuse me by slamming chairs up against my ribs, against the wall, uh, while I was walking by. I know you're at that point just a little kid, as we all were. Was there any yeah. recourse? Were you able to, to ask somebody for help? or I mean, what, what could you do I, with that? I age? did, but they didn't really do anything. And then I had a friend that knew I had dyslexia and tried to explain it to my peers, and things got worse. This is not that many years ago. No, no, in the 90s. Where did you grow up, Catherine? Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay, so probably worldwide that this kind of thing goes on. I've heard stories from across the world of people going through the same things that I have done Mm. or that I have gone through. Um, I mean, once my peers found out I had dyslexia, they called me the diseased and uh, Mm. they didn't want to touch me because they didn't want to catch it. Now, in the fourth grade, I'm reading your bio very carefully these days. In the fourth grade, it changes because something happens. Tell us what happens. Okay, well, in the fourth grade, I was diagnosed and I started to receive one-on-one Orton-Gillingham tutoring uh, twice a week before classes. So I started to learn how to read. Then, you know, I felt more confident because I was learning to read. And Hmm. so it, it was looking better. But then when I went into the fifth grade, they took away all my support. And again, it, it got worse. It, the worst was the fifth grade for me. Even worse than before because you had already experienced this joy of reading all of a sudden. And then they took away this. What was the support that they took away exactly? The Learning Assistance Center mm-hmm. that I went. Right. And my teacher wouldn't allow any of the accommodations for the tests. 
and she would do um, spelling bees in class where each of us would have to say a letter in the word and we'd all be lined up around the classroom. Mm-hmm. Anything in the bylaws of the city you grew up in that said there have to be programs designed for dyslexics or those with learning disabilities or were you pretty much on your own back then? What was the the role? I of- was I was on the road on my own or my parents were left to provide the support that they wanted if it was you know specific interventions I don't know exactly know the the laws Mm -hmm. and the rules Mm -hmm. but the only way to get me the help that I needed was to do after school tutoring or before school tutoring Um, and they eventually pulled me out of the public school system and I went to a private school specializing in dyslexia that I had to take a bus between 45 minutes to an hour away to get there for Mm. grades six and seven you're talking about very formative years when socialization is so important. Yes. We'll talk about where you are today in a minute in more detail, but here we are with, what, four degrees from higher ed and uh, thriving business helping others. You certainly turned it around. Did you have yeah. siblings at all that had this condition as well, or were you uh, an only child? I don't know nothing about you there. Um, I am one of four children, Okay. and I have one sibling that has uh, dyslexia as well. And the other two do not. Okay. I want to go back to the fourth grade. If you can put it into words, what did it feel like to all of a sudden discover that there was a way to unlock that enigma about reading and all of a sudden you were able to do what other kids were able to do? That must have been pretty incredible. Well, it it was a slow process. I wasn't a fluent reader by grade four. Mm -hmm. I was just starting to learn. Um, But it, it felt good. And I I started getting a little bit of confidence. At the same time, it was hard because my peers were still so negative towards me. Did you have a best buddy, though, somebody who you could? I did. I I did have one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she tried to help as much as she could. But her way of helping was trying to explain to people. And they just took that as ammunition to use against me. We talk about cyberbullying a lot in this day and age. But this is the real thing in real time. And again, Mm -hmm. it's not that many years ago. It's it's just shocking. And I'm glad you're sharing your story because I can hear the, the memory of the pain in your voice. I'm so glad there weren't cell phones that everybody had with phones and cyberbullying was not an issue. Right. Because that would have made it that much harder and kids are so cruel. Now, high school. Let's get to high school. Yes. Was that okay, a better so- time for you? Yes. The school that specialized in dyslexia, the first one that I went to only went up to grade seven. So for grade eight and nine, I went to a school specializing in dyslexia and mm-hmm. um, ADHD. Um, and it was getting... At that point, this school wasn't able to work on getting kids that were reaching standards higher. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I was really excelling in some areas. So I went to um, a private boarding school and academically I was fine, but it just wasn't the right fit for me. Mm -hmm. So I returned to the school specializing in learning disabilities to complete Uh, my 10th grade. And then for grade 11 and 12, um, I went to another private school that was a university preparatory school. And I I was fine. I, you know, I received accommodations for my exams, but I didn't need any pullout service to have, you know, exceptionally additional teachings. So that was given to me as a spare instead of taking a second language. Right. With so much extra work you have to pour into schoolwork when you're dealing with this, 
Did you yeah. have any time, particularly in the high school years, did you have any time for extracurricular activities, music, theater, clubs, or was it all study to try to get through it all? I developed a love for horses at a young age. Mm. And um, once I was in high school, I was able to kind of focus in on it more. And I was a competitive uh, show jumper and I was able to compete in some national level uh, competitions for show jumping with my horse. And so that really helped me get through the hard times. Absolutely. Because even yeah. though I was at you know a school and getting the support I needed, it didn't mean it was easy. Right. And I knew that it was a lot of work. And I found you know the solace in the, the equestrian sport and spending time with my horse because he didn't judge me for how fast I could mm. read or my comprehension mm-hmm. or my written output issues. And I would venture to say the people who bullied you in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade wouldn't stand a chance if they were on a horse. <laughs> You're a champion. Yeah. I mean, this is this is showing them the skills that you have that go far beyond uh, what anyone expected. But that brings us to where you are today. You got into higher education. When did you know you wanted to work in the field to help other children? When did you know this? Well, I started my advocacy work at a young age. My mom was actually um, a past president of the International Dyslexia Association for the provincial branch where I grew up. Right. And so from that age, I started doing advocacy work in high school. I was in a documentary advocating for dyslexia and transitioning to high school from elementary school. And then I was in another documentary in the mid 2000s about dyslexia called uh, Deciphering Dyslexia. I'm so glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that because what we're doing on this podcast is communicating a story, which is so important. I've not seen the documentary, but recommend Mm -hmm. it, please. What what was its basic thrust? So Deciphering Dyslexia has two international Freddie Media Awards for the information that was put. It followed four students at different levels uh, in their education, receiving education through different modalities. I believe there were two elementary school students, the one who was in a pull-out private school program, then one that went to a private school specializing in dyslexia. And then uh, my sister was in it, and she was in high school at the time. Uh, And then I was in it as a university student. Mm -hmm. Went through our stories and talked about how we were able to achieve the success that we did. And also, um, Professor uh, Linda Siegel was interviewed in it, and... I believe my speech and language pathologist Pam Otley was in it as well, working with a kindergarten student at one point. Well, congratulations not only on doing it, but in seeing the film get those awards and get the recognition it deserves. Tell us about Garforth Education, which is your mainstay, your main focus now. Tell us about that. Okay, so I have a PhD in special education, and my throughout my experience as an individual with learning disabilities and advocating for those with disabilities, I've found that there's a real lack of clarity between the research and the practice in the field. And it's very hard because there's a whole bunch of jargon in the special education world, even on uh, proper teaching practices. And I'm trying to kind of serve as a bridge between the two. So I work with families who um, have children with special education requirements, whether it's a learning disability, um, autism, or other special needs. And I provide academic interventions for them based on their needs. There are a lot of one-size-fits-all programs out there that don't take the same approach to really understanding the student's learning needs and designing the intervention to fit them. 
I take into a full account their um, their psychoeducational profile, their learning profile, um, what's been done, decide the best way to proceed. And also I found that there's the parents that have the time to help their children and the parents that just want to give you money and get you to help the children, mm. which is fine. I mean, if you don't have the expertise or the time, that's completely fine. It's designing the intervention to fit the family. Catherine, you mentioned advocacy. Explain, what kind of advocacy work are we talking about? Ever since I was in high school, I've been meeting with families of kids with learning disabilities and sitting with them and talking through the process, discussing what their psychoeducational assessment means and what their areas of weakness actually mean to them in layman's terms so they can understand instead of having, you know, uh, terms like phonological awareness and uh, working memory, written output, taking it so it has an understandable approach and how it affects their learning. I remember working with a child when I was um, doing some assessments and he got very upset after the first two times that I spoke or um, first two measures that I gave him and ran out very upset. He came back with his mother and I, I spoke to him about, you know what, I have dyslexia and I know what you're feeling like, you know, getting these things that are so hard for you to do and you're embarrassed because you can't complete what you're being asked. But I explained to him that the process would help us find a way to help him and that gave him comfort. And um, at that point, I had already been in a couple documentaries and I pointed him to one of them. After watching it, uh, he, he wanted to complete the assessment and mm -hmm. to learn more about his strategies because he knew there was a chance of succeeding. So in retrospect, looking back at what you went through and what sadly kids are still going through, what is mm -hmm. it going to take going forward to remove this stigma? Is there a, a sea change you'd like to see and how would that happen? Like my biggest dream would to have every student screened in kindergarten. Now, I know in the States that's more common, um, but having it really structured and say, this is a screening tool that you're using and then providing the interventions based on what the screening tool has. The screening tool doesn't need to diagnose children. It's there to identify risk and identify the skills that they need support in. If they're provided this support early, it can prevent a reading disability from developing into a significant problem. And early interventions are the most successful interventions. Uh, interventions in kindergarten and grade one take a lot shorter amount of time than say in grade four when it takes four times longer for the same skill to be taught. Makes and plus there's all the, you know, the social and emotional issues right. that get associated with, you know, not learning how to read when everybody else is doing it so easily. Dr. Garforth, a.k.a. <laughs> Catherine, you are yeah. an example of empathy in action because you've been there. And that's so important, isn't it, to know what it feels like, to understand what these kids are going through. Yes, I remember growing up having adults speak to me and like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what it's like and that's what it's like. And I found it very frustrating because I didn't I knew that they didn't know what it was like and they hadn't experienced what I had experienced. I find that parents and families find it comforting to talk to me as someone who's gone there and walked the mile in their shoes, maybe not their exact shoes, but you know, I've, I've been there, I've done that, I've tried the different interventions. When I was growing up, there was a program called Hooked on Phonics, 
there was a song that went like hooked on phonics worked for me for their slogan and i remember doing hooked on phonics and it did not work for me and getting like so upset because mm. this program that was supposed to be you know a fix-all program didn't work there's so many aspects to your story but i think when people find out more about you at your website and we're happy to mm-hmm. share it garforth g-a-r-f-o-r-t-h education.com they'll see that there's a real person here doing some really great work and uh, here at the web center we're really thrilled that we're meeting people like yourself and uh, able to share your story that's what it's all about so thank you so much and you've got how many children at home three and what are the ages just so people can know how busy you are <laughs> <laughs> a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old. Two, four, and six. Oh, my God. And you're still sane. You're incredible. Well, That's it's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks once again for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. We're seeking personal stories about your dyslexia journey and would love to hear from you. If you or someone you care about have a story to tell, we would consider featuring it on this podcast. Send the story to me, Jordan, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, Jordan at chartproductions.com. Chart is spelled C-H-A-R-T. We'd love to hear from you. Remember to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast available on all major web platforms. Once again, for much more, visit WICD.org. That's WICD.org.